faith, and the crisis in American policing. We talk with police chaplains about how they give spiritual counsel to police at this difficult time and how faith could help lead to resolution. Here's Doug Wright on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Great to have you along on this uh, conference weekend here at KSL News Radio. And this uh, is a program I've really been looking forward to. In light of so many of the things that are happening within our communities in general, but within our policing communities, and you look at Charlotte just in the last little while, Dallas, Tulsa, Baton Rouge, Ferguson, the list goes on. I thought it would be interesting to tap into the expertise of uh, police law enforcement chaplains and have them join us today and talk about some of the challenges that are facing our police departments, challenges that are facing individual officers, uh, the challenges between the various departments and the communities. And we have three chaplains that are joining us today. Chaplain Paul Falks, thank you for joining us, uh, Unified Police. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Sure. And also Chaplain Melvin Ward, who is with uh, Salt Lake County. Chaplain, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here, Doug. And also from uh, Unified Police, Chaplain Richard Evans. Glad to be here. I'm curious how some of these blaring headlines that we are seeing, I rattled off some of the cities and, and there are more where there have been police shootings, there have been conflicts between the community and the police department, confrontations even. What effect are these headlines having on your various departments and in your, is it proper to call it a ministry? I is think it so. Yeah, mm-hmm. described as a ministry. Mm-hmm. How it is affecting your ministry and, and maybe Melvin Ward in your role as a, a chaplain, what are you noticing? I'm noticing a, a continuing concern that you've just uh, voiced. I think we're all frustrated to know what we can do, what is our little part to help to solve this problem. And I I have the feeling that step number one is to obey the law. How much confrontation would we have if people simply would obey the law? I don't mean to sound like it's a, a simple solution, but that to me is step one. I know we had a situation in Salt Lake City, and it was... Such a a strange confrontation with a person with a snow shovel, and it was actually bizarre. And I remember at that time, uh, Paul, Chaplain Falks, uh, I remember thinking, if this person would have just obeyed the police officer, much less the law, but just obeyed the officer himself in what was kind of a strange, almost Mickey Mouse confrontation, Up, up in the avenues that ended up in, in, in somebody dying and an officer being, being injured. As Melvin indicated, first obey the law, and if for some reason you haven't obeyed the law, isn't the key to obey the officer? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's there to, for a reason, and if they simply just would listen to his commands, talk civilly with him, uh, be respectful, it would solve a lot of the problems. As far as your thoughts on this, Richard, this is Chaplain Evans, is there something fundamentally changing in our society where there is less respect, not only for the law, but less respect for the person that is enforcing the law? I think it's growing. I think the problem is a a difficult problem to address because people are becoming further detached from neighbors, from family. And when that happens, they they lose sight of the the civility 
that is so very important in our society today. Why isn't that something we hear all the time? What has changed? How have things changed? And maybe, uh, Richard, we could pick up with you uh, again. This civility issue especially, I'm noticing it in every aspect of society, even the communications we get in broadcasting, anonymity that goes along with it. For police, what, what is happening when it comes to civility? I think one of the greatest things that society portrays in media is an immediate resolution Television programs are always resolved in uh, 30 minutes or 60 minutes, and uh, DNA uh, research is is always done within you know 10 or 15 minutes in that in that program segment, and it is so far from what is real that people start believing or expecting a new type of reality that just is not. Uh, available and people become impatient. So, Paul, it's not all CSI. Yeah, yeah like Richard said, you kind of expect it to be done so quickly. And in today's world, especially with social media, things happen so fast. People put things on Facebook or Twitter, and mm-hmm. they expect that what they read to be true. Even this morning, I saw some things with what happened in Charlotte on both sides of the situation, and none yeah. of it's true. But people think it's on social media, so it's. It's right. Yeah. Don't, don't look at the facts first. The way we do interact with each other, especially the policing community and the, the populace, uh, Melvin, what, what have you noticed? And, and was there a tipping point where things started to get worse? I don't know that we can identify a particular tipping point. I do notice particularly, as Paul said, with the advent of uh, social media, there's a greater uh, decrease in fear of confronting people or should we say, uh, telling it like it is or like you perceive it. And I'm sorry to see that happen. But I, I do notice an increase in many parts of society of a willingness to confront, even in anger. This idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth will eventually leave us all blind and toothless. Yeah. When we come back, I'd like to talk about the, the effect that you as chaplains are seeing within the departments and some of the individuals that, that you deal with who, who come to you and seek out uh, help and maybe a little solace. All of that and more is coming up here on our special program today. Thank you for being part of uh, this program, and we'll be right back with more. Faith and the Crisis in American Policing on KSL News Radio. Thank you again for joining us on this uh, special Sunday. We appreciate our three chaplains joining us, Chaplain Paul Falks, Chaplain Melvin Ward, and Chaplain Richard Evans. And uh, there are several different religions that are represented in the room today. That is really not the the issue. The issue is uh, helping those involved in law enforcement, their families, and even the families of victims, which Chaplain Evans brought up just a moment ago. How often does that happen? Most of the work that uh, I have been assigned to have been with the families of uh, victims, a death announcement uh, or an, an unexpected death. Someone dies in the middle of the night, uh, natural causes, and going out and being able to uh, minister and help bring some reality, some sanity into a very chaotic situation where emotions are uh, not understood at all. It, it, for many, for most people, they have never experienced a, a death of a, of a family member. To be able to lend 
some stability into that situation and help them to be able to step back and understand that the emotions that they feel are right, that they're real, but that there is a foundation upon which they can uh, rely to get their lives back on an even keel, I think is so very important. That's an interesting aspect of this conversation that honestly I hadn't anticipated as we look forward to doing this program, uh, the idea of ministering to the families of of the victims. I thought more in terms of families of police officers who maybe uh, need some help. Uh, for you, Melvin and Paul, have you had the uh, the experience of going out and ministering to victims' families? Well, yes, directly and indirectly. Uh, you mentioned the snow shovel case up on the avenues. Right. Uh, quite by coincidence, I met a friend of that family, and he invited me to have a chat with a woman who was extremely distressed at what had happened. Uh, Most of what we do, the most effective thing that we do is listen, and then listen again. Uh, Just the other day, I was called to uh, uh, chat with a family whose son had had a bad accident. The mother was very distressed. I I find, in my experience, that that most people can work through things like uh, a death or unexpected death that... uh, that, uh, that you've mentioned, Richard. Most people can solve their own problems. We needn't have our badge or our presence be intimidating if we can just listen. We have two ears and one mouth, and I think there's a message there. And I think people can begin to cope after we've said a few encouraging things and then we listen without interruption. Paul, what has been your experience, and, and especially with uh, taking care of the victims and their family? Yeah, like, like Richard said, most of my experience is working with, uh, with with the families when you're called out to make a death notification, and also just as, as Melvin was saying, just to be there with them um, when they undergo these these tragedies. Their mind is in so many different places, and we're there to kind of give them resources um, to help them deal with the process, help them think through what needs to happen next, and um, just be there to listen to mm-hmm. help them through the process, to, um, get clergy for them if that's what they want, but just to be there, sit with them, and. Uh, help them undergo the, the tragedy they're going through. I, I hadn't really uh, – this has been a, a most interesting aspect of this conversation for me, and and maybe it's because of personal experiences and uh, that we've had within our family. I always assumed that uh, immediately the pastor, the priest, the rabbi, the bishop, or or somebody would would be there, and I hadn't really seen that so much as as a role for you. This is, this is most interesting. What mm-hmm. about dealing with the officer's Families, if an officer has had a particularly hard time, and, and we'll talk about the officers specifically in a moment. But since we're talking about families, uh, you know, for example, you know, Paul, have you had the the chance to not only help an officer but the extended family? Yeah, I have. Um, Unified Department's been great with me, uh, allowing me to do that when some of our officers are involved in OISs or officer-involved shootings. Um, some of our lieutenants have had me go to the homes of the, of the officers to pray with them, just to talk with them and to talk with their family, to see how they're doing. It's a it's a tragedy all the way around, and, and the officers have a hard time dealing with it, but it, it extends to their family as well. And knowing what their husband or wife has had to go, go through is difficult for them. So just to be there to talk with them, talk through the, the process of what will happen with them, I think it's been beneficial for the families. Melvin, is this something that's been part of your regular duty? These sorts of things that you're describing now are rather infrequent. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one that I mentioned a moment ago about the uh, the son that uh, had this bad accident, uh, right. one of the parents is a detective. 
with the UPD. Oh, wow. And uh, in talking to her, why, uh, she was a bit surprised and grateful yeah. that I was willing to, uh, quote, take right. my time. <laughs> right. That, that's right. what I do. Yeah. Is give the time. That's what we do. Uh-huh. But she uh, experienced, I think, a real measure of relief and even comradeship. Richard, I'm left with the impression that most of your ministering has been with victims and uh, the, the families. But what about the, the officers' families? Have you had much uh, duty there? I, I have not had that opportunity yet. The responders' families and the responders themselves are often very private mm-hmm. or sometimes don't even know or think that they can intrude or think that that uh, service is available to them. Some of the people that are most affected are the dispatchers. Oh, wow. Who who yeah. sit in front of a, a radio all day long and talk with officers and never see the resolution to the problems that mm-hmm. they have called for help on. When we come back, uh, there are several questions that, that are obvious. First of all, how does one become a chaplain? What is required to, to be a chaplain? And then also, this is something that happened in an off-air discussion a moment ago that I'd like to get uh, on the air. Is there an attitude within the various departments? I mean, a police officer has a certain image. A law enforcement officer has a certain image. Do you find there's a reluctance sometimes to turn to help in the avenue that you gentlemen offer? We'll come back. We'll talk about that and more. Stay with us here at KSL. Faith and the crisis in American policing. We talk with police chaplains about how they give spiritual counsel to police at this difficult time and how faith could help lead to resolution. Here's Doug Wright on well, KSL really News Radio 102.7 FM chaplains, and 1160 AM. Board Chaplain Richard Evans here with us on KSL. And we were just chatting a little bit more about the role that not only a dispatcher plays, but are they considered first responders? And boy, immediately, you, all of you, unanimously, there was a chorus that said, absolutely. And I have to admit, until you mentioned it in our previous conversation, I can only, boy, talk about a first responder. They're the first first responder and everything else happens based on the dispatching and you think of the people that take those emergency phone calls have you had much experience uh with with them melvin maybe i can go to you a couple of times yes Uh, a year ago i was called to chat with one of the dispatchers uh, a good woman a, a veteran of several years on the force but she'd become very very stressed because of the difficulty of of some calls that she'd received the effect was cumulative this wasn't just one call. But uh, I was very impressed with her willingness to open up about it verbally and emotionally. And there were tears shed. There was anger expressed. Uh, she was able to vent. And I think that was very ther- therapeutic for her. But I have a great deal of admiration for these, as you say, the first of the first responders. That's a difficult job yeah. to remain calm no matter what the circumstance. Uh, that's, that's a real challenge. There was actually a movie made about this several years ago. Halle Berry mm-hmm. played the part of somebody who took one of those emergency calls. And, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, it kind of goes into Hollywood mode. But, boy, it, it, it was an eye-opener for me, Richard. So much of the emotion that is uh, brought about by a terrible situation is first directed at the dispatcher because they're the ones that have to 
marshal the forces and get them on the way. All the while, this person is very distraught or very, very angry. And we see on depicted in television and movies heightened confrontations between officers and victims or officers and criminals. It is every bit as much or more for the dispatchers as they have to listen to this disembodied voice. It's just a voice coming over the telephone, and they haven't any way to see the conditions, the circumstances, and all they know is what that person is trying to get over to law enforcement. It was mentioned, too, in the off-air conversation that more and more, by design, these folks are being included so they can see a little resolution. They can see what that initial Mm -hmm. response, what their dispatching of these uh, resources actually led to. For for you, Paul, as you think of the dispatchers and the 911 operators that take those phone calls, I'm always just amazed at how calm Mm-hmm. They are, and and what they have to go through to even get to the point where they can understand the individual who is so distraught. This is a real challenging area of law enforcement. And definitely, as we were just over at our dispatch center last week, uh, the three of us were having lunch with them, getting to know them better, and they had us just listen in to what they're doing. And they are the ultimate multitaskers. I mean, so many calls coming in, uh, dispatching officers all over the valley. And the one I was talking with, I said, you guys are incredible. What you are able to do at one time and making sure everyone's safe, um, talking to people on the phone, doing it with such confidence but also patience as well, it's really incredible what they do. Is there an attitude within law enforcement that is is changing now? Kind of that old John Wayne, you know, that, well, I'm just going to take care of it. I'll cope with it. Yeah, it was tough, but I'm going to deal with it and put it behind me and just move on versus people now perhaps – newer officers who are a little more steeped in, in the resources that can be available. And some of the things – uh, in, in the military level, and I'm sure it's the same with our police officers, the post-traumatic stress you know, syndrome uh, where things maybe the day after, uh, the week after, you're okay. And then all of a sudden something starts to gnaw at you. Are you finding that to be the case, Paul? In my experience, yeah. You know, Unified has allowed me to go ride with the officers once a week, and that's been a really – good way for me to get to know the officers to see what they're doing and in my experience i would say predominantly it's the younger officers who are much more willing to talk about what they're going through um, just having me sit in the car with them telling me what what's going on in their life what's going on at home what's going on um, at work but they just have someone to, to talk to I, mean, I can just sit there and listen to them and i think it's overall it's been good for them but they also realize there are other resources that they have and they are using those which i'm really glad for richard are you finding that to be the case that uh, the officers in general are using the resource you offer and other resources for help i think it's on the rise the more veteran officers haven't had the services of a chaplain in the past to deal with uh, the issues that they're facing the department is working very diligently to educate all of the officers, the entire command structure, that we are available, that the service that we provide can be used for not only them but their families as well. Mm-hmm. We, will, we will meet at any time, day or night, uh, go anywhere that's necessary. We're there whenever 
the phone call rings. Melvin, I alluded to your long service, and that included uh, service within your particular faith. You have been out there uh, in many different capacities, missions, things, uh, things like that. Are you noticing a trend in, in general, but particularly in the ministry that you have now, of people being willing to, to perhaps seek out help a little more readily than in the past? I think Richard's observation is correct, that, uh, that it's on the increase, but uh, my experience in this area is limited. I think it's kind of a given that the older officers are a little more reluctant to, uh, to seek out help uh, to relieve some stress. I've been asked a couple of times to, to uh, give a presentation to new officers, new hired officers. And I take the time and trouble to share with them my feelings about uh, how officers should, for their own good, from time to time vent in a, in a situation where there's complete confidentiality. But that, that's it's difficult for some officers to accept that what they might tell me will not somehow get back to their supervisor and, and uh, throw their career uh, yeah. under the bus. Are there concerns, and I'll throw that out generally, do, do officers sometimes approach you and they, they actually are up front and say, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to avail myself of some of these opportunities, but I really don't want to mess up my career? I've had officers tell me that. I know I can talk to you because there is confidentiality, and it is good for them to vent to talk to somebody knowing that they are safe talking to a chaplain. Melvin, did you have a thought? I, I did have a case that was very interesting. Uh, uh, a couple coming through on their way to California for vacation. Uh, the middle-aged couple uh, uh, were at the hotel up at the airport, and uh, during the night he passed away. And uh, the woman was, of course, very, very distraught. And it was a bit awkward because uh, I had tried to summon some resources, uh, the services of a funeral home, and, and I found myself uh, here with an eight-hour gap where I was alone with this woman in a motel. Yeah. Now, I had to be extremely careful uh, to handle that situation appropriately. But coincidentally, it happened to be the first day of the LDS Church General Conference. And under the circumstances, I felt this would be an excellent opportunity to, uh, to give this woman some uh, uh, spiritual uh, strength and support. And we went down to Temple Square and attended one of the sessions of conference. Uh, it was interesting. I was able to flash my badge and was ushered right into a folding chair in the back. <laughs> and I think this was a great help to this woman, giving some uh, perspective to her terrible loss just a few hours before. But within about six or seven hours, the children were able to fly in from Texas and to give her the family support that she needed. But that turned out to be an interesting experience. Coincidentally, on another occasion, I don't mean to dominate the time here, but it, it's to the point, one of the officers that was uh, involved, uh, he and I uh, share some religious beliefs, and the victim, in the midst of her tears and wailing and crying, demanded we give her a blessing. And this officer and I shared some religious beliefs, and so we were able to come together and give this woman a blessing, which was a great comfort to her. And I think it was good for the officer to put on that particular hat at that particular time. Yeah, one of the questions, and I mentioned this as we were uh, sitting down chatting prior to, to going on the air, are most police officers in a position where they do tap into their fundamental religious beliefs, their belief in God, uh, their personal religions? What have you found to be the case, Paul, without you know, s 
specificity in, mm-hmm. in religions, but do they tap into that generally within law enforcement? I think they try. Um, we always joke they never get phone calls from people saying they're having a good day. Yeah. It's, they're always dealing with people having a really, really bad day and seeing people and someone that's in their worst circumstance are breaking the law. That's something and, that came up when we were talking about body cams. They said, do we really want your worst day ever right. recorded and available for public access? Right. You know, and that's what the cops are dealing with every day. Yeah, yeah. they see that every day. And so if you have the belief that People are are generally good. Well, they see the worst of the worst, and it causes them to question that. Mm-hmm. And so, some of the officers I've talked to, it's kind of a crisis of faith. What what do I what do I really believe with what I'm having to deal with? Have you found officers where it's shaken their faith? Absolutely. The things that they yeah. see. Richard, Absolutely. how about you? I think that uh, one of the the great services that we're able to provide is the stability in somebody's life that is not denominationally directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are very specifically asked not to be aligned with any particular religion when we provide our service. So in in that that being said, we're able to reach out to any anybody, an officer, right. uh, and it doesn't matter what their faith is uh, or the strength of their faith. Uh, and also we can reach out uh, to families, and if there is a particular need, uh, religious need, uh, a particular denomination that they would like services from, then we can uh, make arrangements to uh, help speed that along. Let's take a brief break, and when we come back with our three chaplains, I'd like to talk about how one becomes a chaplain, what motivates somebody to become a chaplain, and all of that and more coming up. Stay with us here at KSL. In this final segment of the show, and I kind of by design Faith saved this. and the crisis in American policing on KSL News Radio. This final segment of the show, and I kind of by design saved this for last. I have to admit, as we were kicking around the idea for this show, and uh, it was suggested, I, I, I thought, you know, we really ought to talk with some of our, our chaplains and some of the unique circumstances that we are under with law enforcement right now, what they hear, what they see with our law enforcement officers, and maybe even passing along a little advice and a word to all of us on what we can do as a populace other than obeying the law. And if we've broken the law, at least obey the police officer. That's That's at least it used to be fairly fundamental. I was curious how one becomes a chaplain and how you are led to this. And uh, let's start with you on this one, uh, Paul. How did you become a chaplain? Well, I did an internship here with a church in Riverton about five years ago, and the pastor of that church was a chaplain with the Unified Police, and he invited me to a meeting. And at that time, we were going to return to Utah permanently uh, three years ago. And so when I came, uh, I contacted UPD and said, hey, I'm available. Um, we're starting a new evangelical Baptist church in Harriman, and I wanted some way to be involved in our community, and this was a great way just to get involved serving the people of, of the Salt Lake County, but also my desire was to work with the officers and knowing the stresses that they go through um, and being able to be there to help them. This was a great way to get involved in those two aspects. Chaplain Evans, how did you get involved, uh, again, with Unified in this case? A very good friend of mine was uh, was serving as a chaplain for the department. He had been uh, serving as a bishop before that, and I was currently serving as a bishop. 
And he said, when you get done, why don't you come down and, and see if, the, you know, we'll talk to you and see if this is something that you'd like to do. I had had several opportunities to meet with him and visit about it. And it, I, I just felt a very good feeling about this type of service being able to go in and and lend some stability into a chaotic situation Mm -hmm. and just be able to give back to the community. Melvin, for you, what took you to this doorstep after so many other avenues of service over these many years? Well, after a a career with United Airlines as a pilot, uh, (laughs) on a very unhappy day, they took away all my toys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because of a little cardiac arrhythmia. In a heartbeat, an irregular heartbeat. Yeah. So I was very much uh, shattered by the experience. But during my recovery for the next year or two, uh, trying to knock on corporate doors, finding something appropriate to do, and they, well, gee, Mel, you're, you're a nice guy, but we don't need any DC-10 pilots today. Right. What, what else have you done? And then it got very quiet. Yeah. However, one day I was reading in the newspaper and saw a picture of a woman who was uh, becoming a chaplain, going through a year-long program up to the Salt Lake uh, VA Hospital. And this picture, I looked at the picture of her attending to a a patient, and a light went off in my head. A sound or a light in my person activated. That's what I want to do. I've had to abandon my airline career uh, since I've had it since I was a little kid. Now, here's something I really want to do is to help people who were ill or in distress. So I got on the phone and called the fellow in charge of the program, and I signed up. He accepted me into it, and a year later I became board certified, and I have thoroughly enjoyed thus far a seven-year career as a chaplain. I love it. I just love it. It's not a fun thing to make somebody's uh, day the worst day of their life. But the, the opportunity to, to love, to share, to show compassion, to be of help, to be available for anything that they might want or need is very, very satisfying. Is, is there such a thing as chaplain school? What, what happens? How do you, uh, when, when you do finally go out on, on your assignments, what, what has happened? What has transpired, Richard? My background has been in, in church service. Mm-hmm. And do you have to uh, take any training at all officially at a, a police level? Uh, no, you go out and you uh, ride with uh, with the uh, existing chaplains to uh, see how things are handled and how they handle them. Yeah. Uh, so many times it is uh, a matter of just, as Melvin has said, lend a listening ear and yeah. being able to provide answers to questions, help them understand. Uh, sometimes you reiterate information that a detective has told them uh, so that they can understand at their leisure or at, at a more appropriate time for them as to what is going to happen and how, right. how life is going to proceed from here. In the precious moments we have left, and we only have a couple of minutes, uh, I alluded to this earlier. You see law enforcement, you see our society at a very unique level. Victims, law enforcement officers, we've talked about our dispatchers, everything else. 
What advice would you give? I think everybody in our society today is concerned about the relationship between police and their communities. We've seen this erupt into some real tragedies. What would you advise for folks that are listening right now? We'll just do a quick little run-through here, and let's start with uh, Melvin Ward, Chaplain Ward, first. Well, first of all, Dad, come home. Dad, come home and be a father. Be a real parent. Sometimes tough love is required, but come home and do that. Uh, Solidify the family. That's where a lot of success and failure begins, is in the home. Uh, We we see the breakdown of the family increasing throughout the world, not just uh, within a certain geographical area. So that would be the first thing that I would say is mom and dad, come home emotionally, physically, be with the family, teach those values that they really need to have to be a a positive contributor to our society. Chaplain Folks, very quickly, you. I would say just submission to authority. You know, I was recently reading through Romans chapter 13, and in that that passage it speaks specifically to police, and, and the Bible says that ultimately the authority is placed there by God, and those our officers in our situation. And it says specifically, we alluded to earlier, if you are obeying, you have no reason to fear. But if you are breaking the law, there is a reason to fear the authority because they are there as God's uh, way to go against sin and, and punishment. Chaplain Richard Evans. I'd like to encourage people to go to their precinct office and meet the, the precinct chief, uh, meet the officers that are there, uh, maybe uh, make arrangements to go out on a ride-along uh, with a field training officer or someone. Uh, when you meet an officer at the grocery store or at a convenience store in a parking lot someplace, just go over to them and say, thank you for what you do. And overall, not be afraid or intimidated to approach a policeman. I mean, I grew up as a kid knowing that they were my friends. To our chaplains, thank you so much, each of you, for sharing your valuable time, your expertise, your insights with us, and we thank you all for listening today to the special program here at KSL News Radio.